0: So welcome everybody to Mums on Cloud9, our podcast series supporting and championing women in tech. I'm Heather Black, founders of Super Mums, a global brand supporting mums to develop their career in the Salesforce ecosystem. My podcast show aims to inspire and support mums to develop flexible, well-paid, successful careers in the tech sector. And what I want to bring to you is the opportunity to share top tips, insight and inspirational stories from women who've carved out a successful career in the sector and also talk to employers who champion diversity and gender equality. In today's session, we're talking about creating your own success with a focus on how to build your profile and credibility using PR. Now, I'm really excited about this topic because having worked with a lot of women who are upskilling and developing and carving out their career in a new sector, It's been brilliant to see how much they are interested in speaking at events, talking on webinars, launching their own community groups, writing their own blogs and getting really active on social media. It's absolutely amazing that they really want to shout out about what they're doing, what they're learning and really not only doing it for themselves, but sharing their expertise and experience with others. So I completely appreciate a lot of them you know, are doing it because they want to raise their profile, they want to get their job, they want to move up the career ladder, absolutely, that's what we want you to help you achieve. And that's hopefully what some of the top tips will help you do on this podcast. But what we want to also do is really encourage that spirit of shared learning. And that's what this podcast is about. And I've got my guest here today who I'll introduce in a moment, who's sharing their experience to others. So as we grow and develop in the sector, we just want to give back and help other people succeed too. And that's what we want to really achieve on this podcast is that inspiration and action plan of how do I do this? And with that, you will also widen your network of supporters and potential customers as well, which feeds into the success of your career. So I'm delighted to have with me today another Heather, Heather Delaney, who's Managing Director and Founder of Gallium Ventures. So, Heather is a specialist in devising PR and communication strategies for tech companies and their employees internationally. Heather, welcome to the show. It's great to Thank have you here for me to talk to you about all the great things that you can do in PR. And it's also great to have you as somebody who works in the tech industry because it shows the diversity of the different roles that exist and that you don't have to be technical. To have a, a role in, in tech, but as somebody who works in PR and comms, you have a role in tech too. So I'd love for you to share more about your story as a woman working in the tech space and what you've done.
1: Yeah. I mean, thank you for having me. I think my, my story, I think like, like most people in the communications industry, I tended to, to fall into it. So I, I studied photojournalism. I'm originally from Silicon Valley. I live in London. I'm you know, dual national and i previously was in a a pathology lab so you know not exactly apps and and everything that people would expect so the field of of pr marketing and communications just i happened to fall into it it was very comfortable i found it quite interesting and quite easy and the fact that i could really work out strategies for companies but to be honest i'm a massive (laughs) tech geek I've always done gaming. You know, I've got a
0: chip in my hand. It probably Um, helps if you're working in the industry. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Exactly. I basically, I, I found that I get to stay a a kid. I play with gadgets and games all day. So definitely (laughs) there can be more difficult jobs.
0: Absolutely. So what did you do? How, when you fell into that job, where did you start and how did you get to where you are now? Well, my, my path
1: was not traditional. So, within the, the PR industry, you tend to find that people study PR and communications, and then they immediately go into an agency or a small company. I went into pathology. I, you know, through university, I worked at a few different jobs, as any student would, both to keep yourself eating and, and also to, to keep yourself out of boredom. I ended up doing six months of PR recruitment. It was my secret spy moment, to be fair. <laughs> I thought, if I could. If I could do that, I could see from the inside, which places people were happy at what works, what doesn't work. Clever. Um, and from there, I then decided where I was going to go into. So I ended up going into an agency that had already launched. It was very much a small startup. And I basically said, step to the side, I want to, I want to build stuff up. So I ended up building and, and launching the the consumer tech division. I then launched the the world's first crowdfunding division of an agency Amazing. built the company up in the UK and then moved to back to San Francisco um to found the US version of that so you know that was my baby and I I built that up to another award winning company and then decided you know what it's time to to kind of build things as I see they should be I think like most founders you build your company out of frustrations and I very much built my my agency out of frustration. I think that within the industry, there needs to be change and it needs to adapt both in terms of the people that we bring into the industry, but also the work that we do. And I'm a massive workaholic,
0: so I thought it would be fun to do it on my own. Awesome. So you're a real kind of entrepreneur, really, weren't you? You had obviously great leadership opportunity within those companies and we're carving out your profile in those companies but now you've stepped out and started your own business obviously raising your own profile was more important to kind of get business to come to use so have you gone out and raised your own profile using pr well i i
1: find that actually like most women i you know put my head down i'm it's very much a male dominated industry technology like many many industries are PR, you tend to find PR and communications. You tend to find that those it's very male dominated at the top and it's female at the bottom. Obviously that depends on which industry, whether it's corporate and finance, whether it's consumer, whether it's tech. But again, like most women, I got in and just, you know, head down, getting the job done. If there was something that needed to get done, I, you know, very happily took it on. And over time you realize that you, you have more and more on your plate and it isn't until usually women reach a certain senior level that they finally have time to put their head up and they think oh my gosh i've done all this amazing work but nobody knows about it where my male counterparts in other companies even junior staff within the same company might be well well known within the industry for things that they're doing which are minor compared to what you've been doing on your own so i you know i i walked down that same path and i did the same thing i mean having created the world's first crowdfunding division of an agency that on its own was quite powerful because it's it's an industry that's constantly growing. You have platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo which are mm-hmm. non-equity based. You have WeFunder, Cedars, Crowdcube which are in, you know, actually equity based. So becoming a world leader within that industry was obviously a boost to the profile and it made my mother very happy because I could say I was a world leader in something yeah um, and you're award-winning as well Is that <laughs> <yeah. thing? laughs> thank you very much but I think you do have to be careful with raising your profile you don't want to paint yourself into a corner and I didn't want people to think of myself as purely a crowdfunding specialist I do more than that you know I I build and fix whether that's building companies for an exit companies that are, are broken from the inside fixing them internally in their structure and making sure that they they sing a bit better. I help from product to PR, essentially. How do I help build a successful product that will sell well in a different territory? What partnerships, resellers or distributors should we work with within those different territories? Maybe the product needs to change a different skew in order to get those partners to sign on the dotted line or to get more sales within that region. If a company wants VC funding or to exit, that's obviously a very different strategy. So me being just a crowdfunding specialist it was preventing people from recognizing the other parts of of work that i i truly enjoy and that i'm good at so it was a matter of of just making sure that people were aware of that mm. now obviously the companies and the individuals that i work with are very aware of it and you know i've worked with them for years and they're very happy and they make recommendations which is lovely but it is good to
0: to make sure that you're building your profile in the areas that are needed That's really interesting. So you've gone from, you know, some people say have a niche, right? So we talk quite a lot about, you know, create a niche for yourself, because there's, you know, if you spread yourself too thin, there's lots of things people know about. So obviously, there's two schools of thought, absolutely. And that makes absolute sense. In terms of the stories you tell, because obviously, you've got quite a broad range of stories that you can tell for about what you do now. Have you got that across to your customers or to, you know, your 3PR and social media and things? How do you tell the stories about who you are and why you're successful?
1: I've always believed, and I think this comes down to being born in in Silicon Valley. I'm quite a a California hippie in some points. You know, I believe in karma and all that, Mm -hmm. which is just kind of the roots of California, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've always believed in being completely open and honest. So I don't care who does the job as long as it's done correctly. I have no preferential treatment if, you know, if it's myself and my team, or if it's the client that we're working with, as long as it's done correctly. And I think people do appreciate that. And that does mean that, yes, I help with product development, PR company strategy exit, but saying that I'm not a CFO, I can get them to a certain point. I can give them a foundation, but at some point they do need to have a specialist come in and it is that open and honest approach that I find surprisingly it's it's quite rare
0: um it shouldn't be, but it is especially in business mhm absolutely okay, so if you were then going into your customers and helping them fix and raise their profiles and those I guess of those team members in there because quite often you know we were talking about this around you know, depending, you know, who are the staff, what is it they want to be saying about themselves to the wider audience, um, you know, for their long-term goals or for the business that they're working in now, what would be your top tips to help individuals raise their profile through PR and comms? So it really depends what their end goal is. So I'm a big fan of working
1: backwards. If that means your end goal is to get out of the job that you hate or if your end goal is to get a promotion within the company that you currently work, if you want to be known within a specific industry, those are very different tactics in which you have to PR yourself, essentially. So, for instance, if you were working on an app and doing the coding behind that and you would prefer to find a new job, then it would make sense to maybe be featured in specific publications where your competitors or potential employers are reading. Now. It's great that they read your name, but if you're talking about sheep herding then that doesn't actually relate to, to them hiring you. It's good to make sure that, that those individuals, those decision makers, are reading about you in a way that actually could potentially get you that
0: job. So it's about um, talking about how you're successful in that specific industry or product and then hoping somebody will come and pinch you because you sound really good yeah it's building your profile within a specific section Mm -hmm. so
1: even you know cmos although you're a chief marketing officer you're doing very well it's unlikely that those people are going to stay in their company for 30 years so it makes sense for them to be written in you know marketing publications in branding publications because the competition will see them as thought leaders and obviously they'll want to headhunt you because it sounds like you know what you're talking about it sounds like you're a decision maker and a lot of it does come down to thought leadership. So what are you saying that sounds interesting? That sounds like you're moving the industry forward that, you know, whether it's building cultures internally, whether it's technical and building out new areas of software or hardware design, whatever that case may be,
0: you do want to think about what that end goal is, who those targets are and where they're reading. That makes absolutely sense. So become a thought leader think about what you want to say to people share that expertise and wisdom and then people will start to come to you for speaker opportunities or to comment on a piece etc
1: yeah if you're if i think it's speaking opportunities is always something that people are interested in some people are absolutely fantastic on stage some get a bit nervous on stage and that's perfectly fine so it means that if you are interested in building your profile on the speaker circuit maybe start small You can test first of all how comfortable you are on stage but you can also test some of the content that you're coming out with for instance i was speaking at women in tech in dublin so i was talking about financing and funding and it you know it's it's a a whole room of women a lot of startups a lot of women who work in big companies um some might be happy in the large company some might be thinking about creating their own startup themselves so it was basically just educating the community as to what they need to do in order to afford to build up a new company or the company that they have. Now, there's some content that I found was more beneficial to them. There were certain questions that were being asked, which then tells me that actually the main point that I came out with was sadly, there's a lot of sexism when it comes to looking for financing in a company. So clearly that's something that I need to discuss widely a bit later on, because that's that's a, a topic that people really want to know more about and how to,
0: to get over that hump. Mm-hmm. No, that makes absolutely sense. So, what would be the first steps that people could start to do that could start to raise the, their profile to a point where you would reach what we call the tipping point of going, Oh, people come to you because they want you to have a comment on something, et cetera. What do you think people can, you know, what would be the foundations of starting to raise your profile? I think it's, I'm a big fan of slipstreaming, so take a look at what other
1: people within your industry are doing. Now, it doesn't matter what it is. If you work in a hair salon, if you work at a tech company, if you work at, at a bakery, find out what the competition is doing. Are there any you know, thought leaders within that industry? What are they talking about? Are they talking about cultural fit? Are they talking about new technologies? Are they talking about anything else? Is that something that you should be talking about as well? Do you actually have insight into an industry that that people aren't aware of you can post things on say linkedin you can draft your own bylines and, and articles and post them on linkedin clearly linkedin was made originally for recruiters it's a it's a recruitment industry platform you know people post their CVs, the fact that they're looking for a new job so if your end goal is to look for a new job then perhaps it's worth Posting some things on LinkedIn, getting them, you know, something that's shareable, that people are interested in. It starts to get your name out there a bit. When you are looking at where the competition or other people within your industry are being written about, if they're being written in Forbes or Huffington Post, if they're writing pieces themselves are being quoted, you can either approach those journalists and say that you yourself are happy to, to help them with any story, or you can write write pieces yourself
0: and submit it to those platforms as well great okay so great steps it's always funny isn't it with linkedin you forget it was a recruitment platform in that sense because i think everybody's so so involved in sharing (laughs) great content but it it makes sense if people are doing it to raise their profile to win new custom new work you know i suppose it's it's, for, you know, it's kind of recruitment for employees, but it's your entrepreneurship base as well, isn't it? Because you want to, exactly,
1: you know, exactly. And if you are looking for new clients, where are those clients? Where are they reading? Are they reading stories on LinkedIn? Are they reading stories in the Guardian or the New York Times or Mashable? Find out what they're interested in and then try to have your name or your company's name written about in those locations. Excellent.
0: Yeah, no, really excellent advice. You know, in terms of commenting seems to be very popular now, doesn't it? Because then people's comments get read and you could link to related articles and things that happen. So that sounds like a great foundation. So LinkedIn is your first point of call, raising your profile, showing what you're an expert in, reaching out to those journalists, all really great stuff. So would you for those that want to stop writing their own blogs do you think that still has a space now or do you think it's more about podcasts and other ways of getting out there what do you think is the next sort of strategy to disseminating content
1: i think blogs will always people always like to read things whether you're on the tube on the train at home you know in the office pretending to work i think blogs also they're good for seo whether it's your website and you have a little blog section you need to make sure that google sees that there's content constantly being pushed out so that's informative and it shows that you or your team know what they're talking about podcasts though are unbelievably interesting because it's it's easy digestible content that people can listen to during their commute obviously whether you're driving you're taking the tube you're taking the bus if you're driving you you clearly can't read (laughs) so you have to listen yeah If you're on the tube with bus, more than likely you're commuting with everyone else, and there's not enough space to raise your hand to bring the book to your face. So again, listening usually tends to be the best avenue. And and podcasts are—they're just a, a force to be reckoned with. There's amazing content out there. There's a lot of you know courses you can learn new languages, you can learn about the news. It it really does depend what you do depends on what you're going for. If you're looking for new business, if you're looking for a new job, if you're just trying to to raise your profile,
0: that will dictate what the best platform is. Sure, that makes sense. And what are the benefits you've seen then? Have you seen particular benefits to obviously PR and comms from some of the customers that you've worked with and how it's transformed?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think PR and comms has changed over time, which is a good thing. PR previously was very much kind of... Um, I'm not. I'm not sure how many young people have seen this, but Abfab absolutely fabulous. the The show. I mean, I I loved it as a kid. I didn't actually realise it it's was never PR really dated. It. Had it, it's still as good as no, it? <laughs> it was then. <isn't> <laughs> yeah. but I think a lot of people assume that PR is very much kind of, you know, long lunches and champagne and and everything like that. I mean, it would be great if that was the case. Sadly, it's not. I think PR and communications has changed in, in every industry. You're finding a lot more PR is moving into the boardroom. You're finding CEOs and COOs nowadays. There's individuals that have PR and communications backgrounds, whether it's, you know, PR or marketing. And it's just everything's very transparent now with social media coming up, the fact that so many people digest content on their mobile phone. People are reading the newspapers less. They're reading, you know, blogs and fast news more. Everyone has apps that's giving them the news as well. It means that companies can't quite hide as much as they were before. They have to be more transparent. They have to be more open. The communication has to be pretty straightforward with their fans, their followers, their customers. And usually it was the PR, or the marketing person that was, you know, sweeping everything up and trying to, to fix anything that went wrong which is why those individuals are starting to be brought into board meetings now. I mean, I'm, I myself, the agency, when I went into agency life, it was very much a PR company. And I ended up helping with product development and branding and, you know, the next three to five years worth of product lineup and which versions we launch first and in what territory. Because you just from a, a PR, marketing and a comms perspective, you, you tend to see it all. And it doesn't make sense that we shouldn't have that sort of feedback. If we're finding that consumers or journalists are interested in specific areas of technology more, why wouldn't you integrate that into your product? Because clearly, if they like the product, then consumers might like the product and then consumers will will buy more of the product and then you make more. And then you can, you can
0: keep going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And it's really interesting what you said about, you know, this. obviously, the different mediums have moved on mm. and you're seeing different ways of working and in different you know, it's understanding the different communication channels that are popular for the industry you're working in. So in the Salesforce sector, Twitter is actually really popular. And you'll see a lot of great interactions and engagement through Twitter and using the hashtags like Salesforce or Trailblazer, and people really move on that. And the interact. Salesforce is really good at posting out on Twitter and then getting people to respond to it um, and being really active. So Salesforce has really sort of managed to leverage the twitter platform really well and they uh, recognize people for being influencers in the space by giving them what we call an mvp status which Mm -hmm. demonstrates their commitment and their influence and their involvement in communicating and sharing expertise within the sector so at salesforce they actually really recognize people for for taking pr and comms seriously and kind of really you know building their profile which i think is fantastic and so what they do is share all the twitter handles of all these mvps so you can start to build up your reputation and connections and follow all of these people as well and then you've got you know echoed behind that is linkedin so there's definitely salesforce conversations on linkedin and there's also their own salesforce community trailblazer communities where people chat Within a secure environment and share more in-depth expertise rather than kind of the top level chit chat on Twitter. So it's really interesting to look at it because obviously from the salesforce sector you'd start with Twitter and LinkedIn and build it up, but certainly in other tech industries there's probably other areas of preference, right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And that's just it. It's I think I think the use of PR of social media and everything. It's it started as you know companies kind of connecting to consumers and then twitter became a space where consumers would complain about you know their their printer not working so then companies had to adjust what they were using social media for and then the rise of of instagram and the rise of uh, wechat and all of these other platforms mean that you have to be very careful which ones you prefer but it means you also have to test which ones actually make a difference because there's nothing worse Whether it's for a company or for an individual trying to raise their profile, that they're spread against 15 different platforms and they're constantly posting stuff. And it's it ends up all being the same thing that they're posting because they don't have enough mental capacity to come up with random stuff for every single
0: platform. And then it's a full time job. Yeah, absolutely. So it's best to focus really and find out where your industry sort of resonates and start to really build, you know, with MVPs, a lot of them have their own blogs, for example. So it is about, like you say, going and asking if you can contribute a post to their blog, whether you can comment on their blogs and and everything. So all makes amazing sense and feels really practical for people to start moving up that ladder. Now, if you're successful, obviously, what we want is people to go beyond what we think or hear sometimes about the glass ceiling for women like you know we want to raise people's profile so people are coming to you wanting to hire you for work or for a job and with that can come some consequences around managing your digital boundaries because on social media platforms people can tweet or message you at any time of the day so yeah how do you manage that Heather how how do you manage that personally to switch off Because particularly for mums, there is that divide that has to be that ability to switch off and spend time with the kids and not feeling like you're, you know, you feel guilty because you're not getting back to all these people that suddenly think you're amazing and really want to chat to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that will forever be the struggle, especially if you're a business owner, because the business is essentially your baby. You want it to survive. Once you start hiring, then you feel like those employees you know, you're the mama hen and they're the baby chicks and you're, you're taking care of them and making sure that they can pay their mortgage as well. So there's this, this personal side of it. Now there's a few things you have France, for instance, which passed a law, uh, a new labor law, where it gives workers the right to disconnect and that's the right to disconnect from, from office emails. Now that's obviously amazing. And I would love that to come into every country. It's very unlikely that the US will ever pass that law, at least not anytime soon. I would love it if it happened. Same with the UK. But I I really can't wait for that law to happen. Brilliant. So I. There is a law. Like, what does the law imply then? So it's, it's basically that French workers have run, won the right to ignore business emails when they arrive
0: after hours. Wow. Uh, it's very scary that we need a law. <laughs> That.
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> It does make sense. I mean, we have very different work lives than our parents did than our grandparents did. Mm. The fact that your mobile phone is connected to your email, the fact that even your watch is connected to your email, you, even yeah. when you leave your phone, your watch is still telling you that someone's trying to get in touch with you. Also, you know, office time zones are something to, to take into consideration. I mean, I, I work with companies in Japan and China and Europe, and the US and the UK. And it means that at some point, there's always somebody that's awake and there's always somebody that wants help. And I've I've worked in the US and I've worked in the UK and I've had offices and companies in both. And personally, I found that when working with international teams, when I had members of my team, eight hours different from from the others, you have to be very careful with, with the hours that you have available that branch between the two. I don't like the idea of people working too late, because they're going to burn out because I know for a fact that some of them wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is turn their phone on and check emails and then they check the news. And you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's lovely that, that they do that as a, as an employer, but at the same time I want their mental health to, to be stable and them to be happy and healthy, which is one reason why I have my office in London. It means I sit in between all the time zones. In the morning, we we work with our clients in in Asia. In the afternoon, we can speak with Europe. You know, in the evening, for the US, we're the first thing that they wake up to. And then we can go home and we can, you know, enjoy our lives and have dinner with our families. So I think it's setting those boundaries early on because it's very easy to slip into bad habits. When I was in San Francisco, i i was taking calls at at 2 a.m at 10 p.m at 6 (laughs) a.m at 9 a.m yeah and i can do it myself i've i've done it a long time but i it became an expectation and that's a really dangerous position to be in is when it's expected that you will do a call at 2 a.m and especially if you're a parent if you're married i doubt your spouse wants you waking them up at 2 a.m as you roll out of bed if you have a, a child you Padding down the hallway might wake up your child at 2 a.m. And it's not sustainable. So I've always been, again, very open and honest with companies that look, I, I have two rules. One is please don't email me or my team with urgent or emergency in the title. And I feel that that gives people panic attacks and it does, you know, you're the moment you see an email that says urgent in bold, your heart flutters a little bit of, oh my God, something's about to happen. And half the time you open the email and it could be dealt with in a week. It's not. urgent.
0: <laughs> it's, it's clarifying what urgent means.
1: <laughs> yeah. so we have a rule that anybody that has urgent or emergency, if it's actually urgent, you have to put cake in the subject, cake in bold.
0: <laughs> Love
1: Everybody <it. laughs> loves cake. Cake is, you know, friendly your heart doesn't start skipping a beat because you're panicked what cake means and then you can open your email and see see what needs to be done now if it's it needs to be done in the morning not now but make it the first thing that you do in the morning cupcake perfectly fine
0: cupcake means do it in the morning awesome (laughs) <laughs> so you've got definitions of different kinds of cakes depending on what level of emergency <laughs> is. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> that's just such a, a great concept. I think all women love that. It's all about cake. Um, I, I love the fact that you've had to move to London to manage your time zones. I mean, that's a pretty big commitment. I hope there was other reasons to move to London. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I I love I love living in the UK. It's I can I can travel anywhere from here. But from a, a business perspective, I think I'm very lucky that I can pick having an office in the U.S. or the U.K. And it was a very conscious effort that it's it's better for employees, mental health in the U.K. than it is in Silicon Valley, for instance. It's very dog eat dog world. Most people will be on, you know, they, they have no notice period on their contracts. Um, so it's at will employment is the right. term. Interesting. Now that that means that if. If they get fired they could be fired immediately in that afternoon they have to leave mm-hmm. which means they no longer have health benefits and if they have children if their child you know breaks their leg then they have to pay out of their pocket which is quite expensive mm-hmm. where in the uk there isn't that that level of fear of you know losing your job and losing your health care and then your children lose their health care so i think from from a personal perspective i liked knowing that That building out a team they didn't have that fear but then also silicon valley the nature of of what it's become compared to what it was when i was a child is you know you your your contract is nine to five but somebody else is working until seven so you have to work till seven but then another person is working until ten so you have to work till ten just to show that that you want this job and if you don't do it then clearly they'll just hire
0: somebody else who will
1: Where in the UK, there's more of an understanding of, you know, people need a life. It's good to have.
0: (laughs) Mm, And that's why on this podcast show, we want to really show those employers, both in the States and EMEA and, you know, the rest of the globe, you know, what the companies that support flexibility in parents, because I think that's their biggest fear, isn't it? You don't want to be going to work and feeling like you're in the wrong by leaving at five or three even to pick up your kid, you know? And so I'm really excited. About sharing you know corporate companies as well as smaller companies, how they 're really supporting that, and hopefully in silicon valley you know there's there are those companies that exist rather than hopefully you know the generalization i wouldn't you know there's there 's a glimmer of hope in me <laughs> you know there are those companies that do support that and, and can manage it and I think all the things that you 've talked about in terms of, of boundaries are all really really relevant, and we've found that because we 're a flexible you know, company where people work flexible hours, and we've put on our emails. You know, we work flexibly and champion it, and we're available between this date and this time and this time. And if you're emailing me outside of these hours, book an appointment using Calendly here, or contact one of our other colleagues in the office. So we're 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 managing that, and you know, facilitating it off uh, between you know different people. So we, we, we've got everything covered. And I think we say text us or call us if it's urgent, you know, if it is something that has to be dealt with then and there. But it's interesting, like you say, you know, is the, in France, the rules have to be there because if you didn't answer an email text, but actually you're out with the kids and something happened, are you liable or not? You know, it's an interesting scenario that obviously you want to manage with your team. And I think it's a responsibility of us as business owners to make sure that your team don't feel that pressure like you've got adequate cover for your customers when they're out of the office you know wherever possible or you communicate to the customer what the expectations are
1: absolutely i mean there's there's one thing that i've always been conscious of so it, it is a top-down approach you do find that if founders of or ceos or, or managers are sending emails at 10 o'clock at night any of the junior staff tend to expect that they need to do the same thing, and it becomes a culture of working after hours and and working late into the night and and you know seeing emails at 2 a.m. Now, I try to make a very conscious effort that any emails that I'm sending after hours, my team can't see, because I don't want them to think that they need to also be emailing at you know stupid o'clock. So that means that a lot of companies, you know, in order to to foster that. That divide and try to encourage people to have some sort of a life mm. outside of that top-down approach is a good way to do it. Now, because of you know times have changed, I think we've we've all been on our twenties once, um, so, some of us more than others. Sadly, those were the days. But I think it's we've all been that twenty-year-old who had a senior, seen you know a very senior member of the team who had children and left at three, and. As a young person in, in a job for the first time, you, do, you don't you do really understand and you think, well, they're, they're leaving very early, that's not fair, I'm doing all this work. You don't really see that they're there earlier in the morning or you don't see the fact that maybe a mother's nursing at 2am and there's nothing to do but check emails. So she's emailing at 2am because, you know, she has to be awake. Um, so there does there does have to be more of an open communication within companies and within those teams that look I do have a young child my child is sick and I'm up at 3am taking care of my child so because it's you know I can't watch tv because I want want my my child to sleep I'm, I will be doing emails but I don't expect you to answer yeah um, really but nice. then there's, there's software like slack and things like that that mean that working from home is a lot easier for teams because they can see when you're online and some companies are very old school and obviously they they feel uncomfortable with with employees working from home but simply by having that that little chat on the side and you can see in green that that person's online or you can see that they've sent a random giphy to the team it it gives that sense of okay they are they are actually working they're not at home taking a nap or baking cookies yeah, you have to keep
0: pressing the key, don't you, a few times. I'm <laughs> still here. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to pick up another really couple of interesting points there. So some of my team, including me, we do work after hours because actually nine till five doesn't suit us because I take Wednesday afternoons off, for example. So I work a couple of evenings and some of my other parents in the in the company do as well. And what I've had to be clear to the team is I work these hours but like you say I don't expect you to get back to me in the evening if I'm emailing you and somebody on our Supermoms Facebook group we asked this question so there was some good feedback from people about how they manage digital boundaries that way but you know, he suggested scheduling your emails so they don't even go at that time, to be honest. You know, you schedule them to go the next day when they're working, which is a good call too. I guess it's just being really clear with the team about when people work and when they don't. So people understand, well, actually, this is the way that we do things. And it's not that people are working overtime because I always get that fear that customers think that we're working overtime, you know, it was silly hours. And it's not. It's just that I've chosen to pick my daughter up from school But I don't particularly want to go down to part-time hours. I still want to do full-time. And actually, I find the evening's really productive to write stuff and things because I'm not constantly on the phone or emails or in meetings.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. And everybody's different. And I've, I mean, I'm very conscious that I like to hire a varied team. People have different backgrounds. You know, one person was a journalist. One worked in branding. um, One's an apprentice. One's been an agency. One's not been an agency. I have members of the team that, work physically in the office and one of them just travels the world. I mean, she is actually living the dream. She's in New York and then she's in South America and then she's just everywhere. But it does mean that it's it's fostering a culture where everybody's used to messages at different times, or maybe somebody might be a few hours behind and and they laugh at a joke that was six hours ago, which is awkward <laughs> for the rest of us. But yeah you know. <laughs> Yeah. They're catching up it's fine. Yeah. But it's 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 that constant explanation to the team that look people have to live their lives if you you know if you're better at writing content away from the team if you're better at writing at 10 o'clock at night absolutely do it but there's no expectation that any of us are going to answer that email unless it says cake so (laughs) but then that means that people actually really think about whether it's an emergency or not And then it also tells them that they don't actually
0: have to worry about those emails if it doesn't have, you know, some sort of a baked good at the top. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love finishing the whole podcast about thinking about cake because now you're going to want to eat some cake. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Heather, so much for joining us on the show. I think it's been a really interesting conversation, covering actually two really important points, one around raising your profile, but then how how do you manage it because it's become so successful? So thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest. Um, Thank you, So thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you've got some great ideas about how you can start to raise your profile. I think it will take about a year to get some real traction, you know, to start building up. So I'm I'm great. I'm one of those people that just, Yeah, I get impatient, you know, you want everything to happen now. But the reality is, you know, you've got to really start to sow the seeds, start engaging in conversation, let people know you, start writing blogs and, and things once you've got some followers and start to really, you know, build it up. So give yourself a year to get some real kind of goals and successes from that. And that will allow you to sort of layers, different levels of influence, really, whether it's speaking, writing and networking. So, yes, we wish you all the best of luck with what you're doing and we hope it will help you advance your career and hopefully your paycheck and that you'll impress your employer your customers your partner and your kids do tell them everything that you're doing it's really important show them the pictures of you being at events and everything because they will be proud of you um, and hopefully share that and take that back to the classroom and i think the other key thing is it's not just about obviously your profile but it's about giving back and i think that's the thing that particularly women love to do is is you know have that feeling that you've inspired people and there's nothing more warming that if I'm speaking at events, somebody came up to me and said that was really inspiring, I love your story, you know, how do I get involved or how do I do that? It makes me feel that what I've done is really valuable and actually, you know, that's why I do it. And certainly not to advance my paycheck in that way. So it's kind of, you know, what is it you want to get out of it? So thank you again, Heather. Thank you for listening, everyone. Please do tune in to our next show to gain some more top tips about how to develop your career. And thanks for listening. Take care. Bye, everyone. Mums on Cloud 9 is kindly sponsored by RB in partnership with Empha.